What a blessing it is to be a part of a church family. Whether you're here in person, whether you're worshiping and participating with us online, continuing to remain connected and a part of this church family, we are very, very blessed. I know we have uh, several, as uh, our shepherd Jay Bynum mentioned, who are at home uh, either with COVID or quarantining after being exposed, and we appreciate you all very much and have you uh, in our prayers. Uh, it's been such a great, great blessing to see those pictures. And Donna, you did a fabulous, fabulous job. It was wonderful. It was perfect. Can you imagine going through what we are going through these days in the last couple of years without that? Without that kind of relationship, without that kind of interaction, without that kind of sharing of love and concern for each other? What a blessing. What a blessing to go through life's joys and burdens together. Um, with the church family. And we have a great event this evening at 5 p.m. As Jay said, our small groups are going to gather. If you want to be in a small group and are not in one, or if you want to receive some more information about that ministry, or if you are already active in a small group, then we want everyone to be here tonight in our Family Life Center at 5 p.m. And if none of those things applies to you, if you like cookies or coffee, Then come to the Family Life Center this evening at 5 p.m. Because it's going to be a great time of getting together and talking with each other about how we can help each other uh, continue to live faithfully before our God. Our thoughts and prayers are also with several of our family, our youth group that are in Arlington, Texas this weekend for a wonderful worship experience and a growing experience as they participate in Winterfest. And we look forward to their safe return um, this afternoon. As we continue through the, the uh, 40th chapter of Isaiah, this, this month we're looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Today we find ourselves considering the incomparable God. Is there anything that can compare with God. And if you say no, does your life reflect that belief? Does your attitude reflect the belief that nothing can compare with God? Does your confidence echo that? Your purpose and your mission in life? Does that reflect that there is nothing that can compare with God? And so the question today is, are you connected to the incomparable God? Is there a strong connection between you and the God that you say no one can compare with, nothing can compare with? Are you connected to that God, to the incomparable God? I've entitled this series this month, Strength for the weary, Isaiah 40. Because we are weary, and that's okay. (laughs) It's a very human thing to be weary and tired when you should be weary and tired. But it's not okay to lose hope. And it's not okay to feel defeated Because we serve the incomparable God. Nothing can compare with this God. Last week we began this series looking at the first several verses of Isaiah 40, emphasizing the Word of God. That it is God's Word alone 
that will last forever. Everything physical around us that we see, that we go through, that we're a part of, all of those things will find their end. But the Word of God will last forever. Isaiah 40 tells us that we serve the incomparable God. And so today, a few thoughts from this middle section of Isaiah chapter 40. First of all, some rhetorical questions. God brings us some rhetorical questions from this. In Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? As Isaiah speaks of the incomparable God, he asks these questions. And we, we, it reminds us that God has always been interested in asking us questions. <laughs> From the earliest moments in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, we remember that when Adam and Eve fell and God went to them to confront them, he didn't just tell them things, he asked them questions. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? We're reminded, of course, also of the great book of Job and the the great interaction between Job and, and himself, between Job and his friends, finally between Job and his God. And that's what we read in Job 38 through 41, this interaction between God and Job. After God has uh, had all these things happen to Job that were uh, life-threatening and life-destroying emotionally, and then his friends come to him and and they say, look, God obviously has it in for you, so why don't you just admit it and, and go to your grave? And Job says, look, I've always lived the way I'm living right now. There's nothing that I understand that can explain what I've gone through. This isn't right. This isn't fair. <laughs> if God could come down and if we could meet on equal terms, believe me, I've got a strong case and I would win that debate with God. I know none of us have ever felt that way, right? <laughs> and so God allows Job and his friends to carry on with that for a while, and then in chapter 38, God comes to Job. And he doesn't expect anything out of him other than his humanity. And he tells him, brace yourself like a man. I've got a few questions for you. And then God hits him with question after question after question after question. Like we just read. Where were you when I created this stuff? Or as Isaiah says, who can fathom the Spirit? Who can instruct the Lord as his counselor? Who does God look to for help or enlightenment? <laughs> There's no one. Because no one can compare with God. And so God goes through that series, and then in chapter 40, God comes to uh, Job, and he says, okay, Job, Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Big Talker, what have you got to say? This is your chance. 
This is what you've been screaming for. And Job says, look, I, I talked way out of turn. I had no business saying those things. And so God hits him again. And he says, brace yourself like a man. And it's round two, and it's the same kind of thing. Because God's not just interested in winning arguments, although he can. He wants to win our souls. He wants to win our hearts. He wants to be in relationship with us. And there was a barrier between Job and God. In spite of his righteousness, his holiness, no one like him in all the earth, beginning of the book says. Still, there was something that was separating him from that close relationship with the incomparable God. And so again, in chapter 42, what do you have to say, Job? And Job says, look, I had, I had heard about you. Now I've seen you. And I repent in dust and ashes. And that's what God wanted. That's all God wanted. He didn't want Job to understand him. That's what Job wanted. He wanted Job to trust him. He wanted Job to realize that there was the incomparable God that in spite of life's craziness, he could turn to, he could trust in. Even when he didn't understand him. And that came about through God's asking questions. And Isaiah 40 begins the same way in this section that starts in verse 12. And so a few things that cannot compare with the incomparable God. Nations can't compare. Nations can't compare. The most powerful nation cannot compare with the powerful, incomparable God. The most righteous nation cannot compare with the righteous, incomparable God. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires in all of its forests, in all of its trees. It's not sufficient. Nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Verse 17, before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Nations cannot compare. And we know that no nation is perfect, even the best of nations is imperfect. This weekend we celebrate the life and the, and the challenging call that Dr. Martin Luther King gave us so many years ago, recognizing that we're still fighting some of those same battles, that we're still trying to find that way where we can judge each other not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And we're certainly not there. <laughs> Perhaps better than most nations, but not there. And certainly not able to compare with our holy and righteous and loving God. Why? Because nations can't compare. Isaiah says even the strongest nation is, not, is a drop in the bucket to him. 
Even the most powerful nation is regarded as dust on the scales when you're measuring them against the incomparable God. There's no comparison. Nations cannot compare. There are a couple of great Psalms in Psalms 2 and Psalms 110 that that remind us of this. The very beginning of Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. This is a psalm, both of these are psalms that were recited when a new king was enthroned in uh, David's day and afterwards. And this is how God reacts to them. Verse 3, they say, let us break their chains. Let us throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth are your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The incomparable God scoffs at them who think they have this powerful nation that is more powerful than God. Psalm 10 begins with the Lord saying, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we know that these psalms look ahead. They apply to some degree to the king of Israel in David's day and after, but they especially apply to Jesus, the king of kings, Jesus, the Lord of lords. Next week, we'll see this in a more intense way as we compare not just nations to the incomparable creator God, but rulers of nations. And there's not a one that can compare. Nations can't compare. But also idols can't compare. Idols can't compare. As Donnie was sharing, as we gathered around the table, it reminded me of those days when I was able to do mission work in Ukraine. And how we talked beforehand and how I saw it very much there, this worship of icons and idols. You may wear a cross around your neck, and I think that's wonderful. You may have a a cross or something up in your home, and I think that's wonderful. But you understand that you don't worship that. So many people there did not understand that. Idols can't compare And I love the way Isaiah brings this out. (laughs) Here in Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. 
A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. (laughs) Do you see the image there? (laughs) Isaiah says, okay, as they're building their gods, what do they do? Well, they find someone to donate some wood. And they begin to form it, and they find someone to donate some gold or some other precious metal, and they overlay it. And then they have someone skilled with a hammer and nail to come in and nail it down so that it doesn't fall over. <laughs> and, and, and you worship that, Isaiah says? Are you kidding me? That's the God that's going to provide for you? That's the God that's going to protect you? That's the God that gives you hope? There's no way. You have to nail it down so it doesn't topple over. And we're reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about idols and begins to hit a little bit closer to home. When he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll be devoted to one and not the other, or you'll be faithful to the one and not the other, but you cannot serve God in money. And I would say you cannot serve God in anything else. Just add it in the blank. And of course, the great Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that you need, they'll be added. You'll you'll have what you need. We think of that passage that Donnie ended his thoughts with from 2 Corinthians 13, one of those wonderful Trinity passages, words never used, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament especially, and and you have the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and nothing else can bring us that. What a joy it is. What a blessing it is. And you say, well, Bill, I... Really, I appreciate you reading this, but that doesn't apply to me because I don't worship idols. I don't have something that I built in my house that I nailed down so that I could worship it instead of the living God. Well, perhaps you haven't done that. But we have our idols, don't we? We have those things that come between us and the incomparable God. And so for just a moment, compare the living creator God to our idols. Compare the living creator God to our idols. And again, you say, wait a minute, Bill, I don't have any idols. Oh, no. Here are just a few. Money. We worship money. (laughs) And trust in that. Power. We seek power and trust in power. Worship power, fame, or popularity. It means everything to us at times. Success. We worship success. It becomes our idol in place of our God. Health. We worship health over the God who provides us with health and who created us. And who sees us through the times when we are healthy and times when that health is taken from us. Leaders, politics. I'm so glad we live in a country where that is not a problem 
I'm so glad we live in a country that is free, that's a democratic republic. That's a great, great blessing that not everyone in the world enjoys. And it is wonderful, but it's also a temptation. And the temptation is this, to worship that and not God. And to worship the political parties or the political leaders that we think will keep that in place like we like it. Rather than God. Again, next week in the next few verses from Isaiah 40, he speaks specifically about trusting in rulers. And others, we could put others there as well. And perhaps one that, inter, that is intertwined in all of these is self. Worshiping self. And the selfish desires that we have, I wish we all could have been in the, the Bible classes this morning and specifically the class that I was in with Danny Snell teaching, challenging us to see my, my place in the church as not just a, a spot on a cruise ship, but rather a, a place on a battleship with responsibilities and duty and a desire to serve, a call to serve. Why don't we do that? Because we have replaced the incomparable God with self, with self. And now our comfort and our money and our success and our health and everything else comes before God. And we, we may not even realize it which is Satan's plan all along, until it's too late. Well, you look at this list and you say, you know, Bill, some of those things aren't all that bad. And really, when you look at this list, none of them is really good or bad. But here's the thing about our idols. Our idols might be okay servants, but they're horrible masters. They are horrible masters. They're great servants. All of these things are good things for the most part, but they can't do what the incomparable God can do, and they all fade away when we try to make them do that or expect them to do that. All these are just as helpless and powerless to save us as was the idol that was built in Isaiah's day and had to be secured so it wouldn't topple over. It's no different. They're all good things, or at least neither good nor bad. They're great servants, but horrible masters. And when we put them above our service to God and our place in His church, then we have broken the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And we are no different than those people in Isaiah's day. They would build an image of some sort and overlay it with gold and nail it down so that it doesn't fall over and then say, here is my God. Our idols might be okay servants, but they're horrible masters. And why exactly is that? Because they can't help us. <laughs> they can't save us. They can't give us hope. They can't give us joy. They can't help us go through the storms of life with a foundation inside of us that will not be moved. 
But here's the thing about the incomparable God. He is able. Our God is able to do all of those things. He is able to provide for us. He is able to save us. He is able to help us. He is able to guide us. He is able to see us through the storms. And just like with Job, it may not look exactly like what we would like for it to have looked like. But he will deliver us because he is able. And only he is able. This great and wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 3. At the end of Paul's prayer that begins in verse 14, Paul says this, this, this great doxology, this great moment of blessing and praise to the incomparable God, verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Why? Because he is the incomparable God. And as such, he is able. He is able. We see that throughout Scripture. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego very confidently affirm our God is able to save us from your fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to something that's not God. We sang this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep everything that I've committed to him until that day when it all becomes face-to-face and real. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, Because Jesus suffered and died, he is able to help us when we are tempted. And in chapter 7, he is able to save us. Not just a little bit, not just barely. He is able to save us completely to the uttermost. Why? Because he is the incomparable God. And so as Jay shared, when we are discouraged, he is able to give us hope. We have hope. When there's no hope, to be found. Connect to the power of your incomparable God. Connect to the power of your incomparable God. Are you connected today? Or are you trusting in something that's not God? Whether it's good or bad, it's not God. And you're giving up the incomparable God for something far, far less. Our great incomparable God is powerful and mighty to save us. He is able to deliver us, to help us, to keep what we've committed to him. He is able to do more than we could ever ask or even imagine. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns you today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes your way. He is able, more than able, To do much more than you could ever even dream. He is able, more than able, to make you what he wants you to be. 
if we can help you connect to the power of our incomparable God, come as we stand and sing this wonderful song.